Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Professor Sophie Scott, CBE, is the Director of Cognitive Neuroscience at UCL and joins us in today's episode to share her wisdom on how our brain's process sounds just like these. Meta, right? Now, over to Sophie. What's going on in your head right now whilst you're hearing this question? Well, the really weird thing about hearing is that it's a very physical sense. So whenever you sense anything in the world, energy has got to be changed by your sense organs into electricity because that's what your brain wants to to deal with. So for something like vision... You've got photons of light bouncing around and they bounce off surfaces and they hit the back of your eye and there is a chemical reaction and that sends a message to your brain. If you smell something, there is a a molecule, hits the sensors at the back of the nasal passage, sends a signal to the brain. Sound is even more direct than that. So sound is physical movements. If there are no movements of things, there are no sounds. Every time you hear a sound, it means something somewhere has happened in the world. And the movement of that thing, so at the moment there's a helicopter out in the sky above me. The helicopter is, the engine is rotating, it's chopping up the air, and it's, that's how it's staying afloat. And then it's also sending vibrations through the air, and that's vibrating air molecules all the way between me and the helicopter. And then that is vibrating the outside of my ear, which is the eardrum, and then that vibration moves three tiny bones, the smallest bones in the body. They are moving back and forth, and then they press against something which is called the inner ear, and you've got the cochlea, and that's still physical movements, and that starts setting up waves in the cochlea, which is filled with fluid. Those waves move tiny little cells called hair cells, which have got these projections, and they get bent by the waves moving up and down. And when that bending happens, there's an electrical discharge and a signal is sent to the brain. And the extraordinary part of this is right up until the last possible minute, that's all still physical movements. It's moving parts. Quite incredible. And actually, what we experience as sound is on the same spectrum as any kind of physical vibration that you feel. So if you could, you know, you're standing on the street and you hear a tube train rumbling underneath and you can feel the vibrations in your feet. It's the same thing. It's just our ears have developed a way of taking those vibrations and, and perceiving them as a different thing. We don't, we don't hear them as vibrations. We hear a different sense. Okay. Then I've got an even more complicated question for you this time. What's going on in your head when you're hearing this question, but also thinking about an answer to sound smart and informed while still somehow listening to this question? So why why are there essentially two voices in your head right now and how are they competing? Well, again, it's a very good question. And it's one of the things that's quite extraordinary is uh, because sounds don't hang around, there's a sound and it's gone. All sounds unless they are like a drone of a fan or something, 
They have gone as soon as you've heard them. When you hear speech, you're hearing a sequence of speech sounds that have disappeared long by the time you've started to recognise the word. They are lost in time. So you're sent, you have to be process sound really, really quickly. And in fact, sound is processed more quickly than vision. Vision is relatively slow. Sound is fast because it has to be. Visual things quite often hang around. Everything in front of me hasn't moved since I've come into this hall, but all the sounds are different. So at one level, you're processing that. At the other level, of course, what you're doing is you're preparing what you want to say. And what it seems to happen is that you've got the two things going on in parallel. But of course, they can't be entirely in parallel because you need to be able to prepare something. I need to be able to answer what you said. So part of what's happening, it seems, in the speech perception system isn't just recognising what you've said. It's kind of building it up into a bigger picture. So I have a kind of semantic understanding of what you want and what you mean. And then I am forming and planning what I want to say within that very transient representation. And then I start launching my speech. And by the time I'm talking, I'm not really listening to what I'm saying anymore. I'm still thinking about you. Almost, this is what I was saying, we don't really listen to our voices when we talk. And that's because you matter more. It's more important that I look at you and listen to you than I actually pay any attention to what I've decided to say by the time I'm saying it. Okay, so, you know, when someone is naturally gifted with music or beats, so for example, like a DJ, do they experience sound differently to you or I? I mean, I do strongly suspect that there is quite a lot of variation. So I did a study, it was just a bit of, it was just a bit of marketing with, um, you know, the, the composer David Arnold, he used to do James Bond films and he did Independence Day, he does a lot of music. He's worked with Bjork and people. But, you know, we just had an opportunity to scan him. And what we did is we scanned him listening to music that he really loved. So we have him have his brain listening to music that he loves versus listening to music that was just we just picked as being as uninteresting as possible. And I've never seen anything like it. Like, his whole brain lit up. It was easier to find bits of his brain that did not care about the music because it was so extraordinary. And actually, the sort of scale of that was or you think, well, maybe everybody would look like that if they heard the music they really loved. Or maybe there really is something qualitatively different about someone who's living a life completely immersed in music. And it's, it's an open question. OK, why is it that some sounds seem to grate on some people so much, whereas for others it might actually feel like a harmony? I mean, a bad example would be chalk, like nails on a chalkboard. Obviously, no one thinks that's a harmony, but, you know, it really doesn't have the same reaction for two people. What's that about? It's a good question, and we don't have a good answer to it yet. I know I keep saying this, but people are starting to explore this. It gets called things like misphonia. It's never just that people go, I dislike that sound. They're like, make it stop. It's absolutely awful, and it must end now. It's not an irritation. It is a metaphysical wrong. There are some things in common. They're quite often high-pitched sounds. There's quite often like a sort of scrapiness or... It kind of going back to the idea that all sounds happen because something's gone on in the world. You know, the, maybe the actions are as distressing. One of the things I'm interested at is people quite often experience it in their mouth. Like we say, it sets my teeth on edge, and you get people doing kind of make it, you know, like it have a revulsion to it. So, I have a PhD student who's very interested in these kinds of strong emotional reactions to sounds. He's also looking a lot at ASMR. 
And what we want to do when life is normal again is actually get into the brain scanner and start asking some more questions about this because it's very, very interesting. And as you say, it's not the same for everybody. Some people don't experience it at all. Other people, you know, even if people experience it, the, sa- the same sound is not guaranteed to cause the same effects in the same people. Well, just like ASMR, right? You just brought it up. But I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I, I happen to respond very positively to it. My wife is totally indifferent to it. Even that is quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how, how subjective is sound generally then? And is that something that's just, you know, like completely based on your genetics or your environment? I don't know. I think one of the really weird things about sound is that we can hear before we're born. So there's not much you know about the world when you're born. Human babies are born with the knowledge of what faces are and they will preferentially look at things that have eyes in a round space. So there's something you're born with but you have learned something about sound and you seem to have learned two things. You've learned your mother's voice because that's the loudest thing you can hear and a bit like your voice when you're talking, you're hearing it transmitted through the body. And the other thing that you learn is about the languages that she's speaking or the language and you don't know the words, you can't hear the words, but you, you learn, you're born knowing who your mother is from her voice and also what the, the rhythm and the melody of the language that she speaks is from her voice. So you kind of get a bit of a kickstart for stuff, like you know who your mum is and you know about language or you know about the shape of the language, the sort of rhythm of the language. And babies do use that to start kind of building a scaffold for getting to grips with language. But there's also something very comforting about it. So a really extraordinary thing is that all around the world, all mothers will sing to newborn babies because it calms them down and not much will calm down a newborn baby being held being nursed being fed and being sung to so it's a source of comfort from very early in your life and it's such a strong effect that even women who are deaf who may not have any sense of hearing their own voice if they have a hearing baby they will sing to that baby so it's an incredibly profound effect that it has on babies and I think that kind of emotional connection to sound from the outset and what that could mean, I don't think we have a very good understanding of, but it does seem to be one possible route for there being quite a lot of variations, not necessarily in how we process sound as hearing a sound, but the, the reactions we have to sounds, these very, very emotional, positive and negative responses that people have. Okay, it makes a lot of sense. Are, are there, you know, I was wondering whilst you were talking, are there sound-related mental health illnesses? Like, for example, does tinnitus count as one or is it described as a different condition? Yes. So, uh, no, tinnitus, eh, ears make quite a lot of sounds. So some people have tinnitus that is caused by, like, damage to the ear or trauma to the surrounding area. But people also, it can be quite a strong association with anxiety, because there's a noise to hear, and if you're anxious, that might be something to latch on to. Um, by no means is that true of all tinnitus. But also, and this, this is really interesting, um, hearing voices, so having a hallucination of voices, is a very common found in mental health issues. It's found in, sometimes, well, quite often in schizophrenia, but it can also be found in bipolar disorder. There's also a whole load of people who don't have any kind of mental health diagnosis whatsoever and don't have a mental health problem who also hear voices. But the really interesting thing is we hear voices. People don't get like a... If you get a song stuck on the brain, we don't think of that as a hallucination, whereas we do when people hear voices, you know? So there's something about voices 
and hallucinations associated with voices, which is by no means always associated with mental health. But when it is associated with mental health, it's normally profoundly negative. The voices don't say nice things. That's really interesting. So I guess, you know, baby shark could in its own sense be a mental health disease. <laughs> it's entirely possible. You know, I don't, I don't even have kids and I know that that's one that gets stuck in your head. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, I guess for people looking to optimise their mental performance with things like flow states, music can obviously play quite a big factor. So, you know, at the office, we like to talk about lo-fi beats or binaural beats. So what's going on with that? Is that scientifically proven at this point? It's not. But I think one of the things that's interesting about music is that well, it can be a very direct route into these emotional reactions and sort of managing things. So I have... I know this is not the plural of anecdote is not data. And I have different playlists depending on what I want to do. If I want to exercise, I've got one playlist. If I want to feel really upbeat about doing something, I've got a different playlist. If I want to really lean into feeling sad about something, I've got a different playlist. So I can sort of, and I think this is quite use, you know, quite usual. People have a sort of palette of musical things where they can kind of both enhance but also encourage particular emotional states. Music is also very good. I mean, and of course, the wrong music can throw you off completely. There's some music I just cannot listen to if I'm trying to work. They can't, you know, the, the, and everybody will have some sort, you know, because it's distracting or I just find it irritating, whereas in another context, it would be fine. And also because, because sound is weird, because sounds appear and disappear. It, sounds are very, very distracting. So even just being able to have a fairly constant auditory environment can be positive for people because you start to mask the distractions of things coming and going, like the helicopter near me. That makes lots of sense. So what would you say are the three main takeaways that we should know about sound and our brains? First of all, be careful about the level of sounds that you listen to, because here ears are made up of moving parts. Those moving parts can wear out. And while these things are great for listening to music, there's no natural end to them. Like cassettes and LPs, there was a point where it stopped. These can just carry on. So make, that means that you can, be, you can be presented with quite a lot of loud sound, more than you might realise. So I would always say keep a level check on your phone for the loudness of what you're listening to, because it doesn't need to be that loud. It can be loud without you noticing. And actually, over time, that's not good for your hearing. So you can take that sort of stuff seriously I hate to sound like a policeman but that's it's just true I think the other thing is again let yourself kind of engage in the ways that sounds can help you so my partner loves to go to sleep with the radio on I can't think of anything worse I'm absolutely unable to sleep with the radio on and and there are just these differences it's not some people can find the same sound could be pure bliss and relaxation to one person and just like make it stop I can't sleep with this on to the next person Find a way of managing this and bear in mind just because you don't like it, somebody else might really like it and vice versa. And I think the other thing I'd say is that, you know, a bit like with laughter, take it seriously. If you do like music and sound, let that be part of your life. You know, we have like, we've we've never lived in a situation where it was easier to kind of engage with recorded sound. And it's, it's a wonderful time for that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? 
I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week.